0: Hey girl, welcome to the What A Mouthful podcast. I'm your host, Dee. I'm a qualified nutritionist, personal trainer, mindset speaker, and my favorite of all, I'm a mum. Living your best life doesn't have to be a grind, and I'm going to show you how to achieve a healthy mind and body. And if this episode speaks to you, give a sister a five-star review. Okay, guys, for this week's episode, I came across this amazing article. It's a 2018 article in the Journal of Translational Medicine. It's called Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Associated to Leaky Gut. And it really made me think of my own experiences with leaky gut. And then I thought, who can I get to to talk about this with expertise, with an equal passion for reproductive health, to really help me highlight how important gut is influences our reproductive health and so i have the amazing steph Lowe. welcome <laughs> steph thank you so much for having me looking forward to diving into this topic Me too, especially somebody who has dealt with a lot of leaky gut. I really can't wait to get right into it and share some personal experiences and also get all the juice extracted from your brain (laughs) around it. (laughs) So, Steph. No
1: pressure, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, Steph is a clinical nutritionist for 13 years now, a mentor for other nutritionists and health coaches, and a fellow mom and a podcaster as host of Health, Happiness, and Humankind. I think you're up to like 300 episodes now. Is that right?
1: It's pretty crazy, Um, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We've been going for a long time with um, weekly episodes, yeah.
0: Gosh, it's wild to think that that's, you know, that's how many conversations you've had with, you know, such an array of amazing people, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's such a great way to connect with other people. Like I've just loved that from a networking point of view, Mm. but equally it's how we share knowledge. People really access information via podcast these days. So it's the powerful that we have. These tools to share our knowledge wide and far, or far and wide.
0: Very true. Now, mm. Steph, can your guts influence your reproductive health?
1: Yes, <laughs> <laughs> of course it can. But I mean, this is obviously a fairly new area of science in the context of our understanding of the microbiome—that that beautiful ecosystem—and of course, its protective barrier, which I'm sure we'll unpack. Mm. Um, you know, it's a big area of science and it's in its it's in its infancy. So it's amazing to see these articles published mm-hmm. um, a number of years ago and I think we're going to understand so much more in years to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, what we decided to do today was to really zoom in on one aspect of gut health and how the gut can influence our reproductive health. Because obviously Mm. it's not going to be just leaky gut that is going to be the make or break or the reason why you're, you know, you may experience a miscarriage or the reason why you may have some level of infertility. So, but we just really want to zoom in on one area, especially because, you know, leaky gut affects so, so many people, I was going to say almost everyone, and I would even argue maybe almost everyone or close to anyway, especially especially with some food choices, but mostly due to stress, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm.
1: Yeah, the prevalence is huge in today's society. Like I often think about this evolu- evolutionary mismatch where our world has evolved so quickly and humans haven't been able to catch up. So we are in this constant state of, fight flight or freeze all that sympathetic overdrive and there are health consequences to that and stress has many of which some are more obvious like a you know a high blood pressure or a heart disease sort of scenario which is pretty well accepted Mm. but stress and those typical stress hormones of which cortisol is is one and the most popular Um, have a huge impact on the integrity of our intestinal wall.
0: And can you explain that in a little bit more of a, um, just like a sort of an an easy way? I know I I explained Mm. this on Gut Hacks and Food Facts. I think it was episode 47 that I did on the Health Code Daily. So if anyone wants a a little two-minute explanation of it, or maybe it was possibly even less, maybe like a 15-second version of it, you can go ahead and go listen to that, that I did with Sarah and Kurt. But Do you Mm. mind just giving us a little bit of, like, I love metaphors. If you've got a metaphor or an analogy, (laughs) please. (laughs) Because I think it's really um, great to get explanations from different perspectives. Um, And I know you're so well-versed on the microbiome and the health of our gut.
1: Yeah, there's a few areas to consider. But if we start from the start, I'll see how I go with metaphors for you. No pressure. (laughs) Bear with me (laughs) on the spot. So in the case of our digestive system, what we need to acknowledge is that it's governed by the parasympathetic nervous system. But if we are in a state of stress, the sympathetic nervous system is overriding that. Mm. So immediately our digestive function starts to become compromised. So immediately we are not producing the same amount and therefore adequate bile and Digestive enzymes and acid. So, our digestion and our ability to digest food, which is our raw materials or which are our more material, is compromised. Yeah. So, raw materials, like obviously food is powerful, but we often think about it in the macro. But if we think about it in the micro, those are the raw materials that we need to fuel our body. And so, one, if that's decreased, then we can start to see issues with, like, the integrity of our intestinal cells. Mm. But, two, with maldigestion, we start to see, like, foreign food particles or undigested food particles travel further down the gut and that's where they start to interfere with the integrity of the intestinal wall, which is that leaky gut, that classic, I always do this with my hands, so I'm glad you're recording the video. But yeah. It's not that helpful just for an audio podcast, but <laughs> that's yeah, that fly screen with holes in it, right? Yeah. Like a normal fly screen has little tiny holes. So essentially nothing gets in, nothing gets out, but there's a free-flowing communication. And when the gut's leaky, it's like someone's torn these big holes in there. And stress can, you know, there's there's other reasons we'll go into, but in terms of those undigested food particles, that's a big issue. Yeah, And we need to start with the foundations. We need that bile, those enzymes adequate acid that's like the top of the gastrointestinal tract not to mention you know everything that goes on along that pathway oh
0: yeah exactly to to unwind and unravel it all there'd be so many um there's so many steps that rely on other steps in the body as well one thing we know though is that stress is a great undoer so it can you know definitely impacts a lot of things and you know has this has this kind of you know when cortisol and you know stress hormones are too high have this this sort of negative knock-on effect and i think um I was just listening to you while you were saying that. I think it's really important. Like, I love that fly screen analogy. It's like, if you can imagine a tennis ball, let's say a tennis ball is an undigested food particle that your blood, that shouldn't be in your blood what can happen is you're, you, you, won't, you can't push that tennis ball through a fly screen, but then when there's a big gaping hole, you can chuck a tennis ball through and probably two and three and mm-hmm. different color tennis balls. And so once it gets onto the other side of um, the, uh, the intestinal wall, which, you know, let's just say the blood, then what is happening as a result of that is your immune system then has to mount a response because it's like, whoa, what's this mm-hmm. thing in here? And it has to kind of protect you from this new you know, foreign, could be invader. And so your immune system is just going to try and protect you, look after you and go, okay, if that green ball comes in again, (laughs) I need you as a soldier (laughs) to make sure that nothing, you know, that that this does not affect her. Um, And so I think, yeah, just um, giving people a little bit more of an understanding around, um, you know, we're trying to avoid that from happening because not only can that happen, but then also things like LPS, lipopolysaccharide can then enter the bloodstream. And this is largely what the article was talking about, it was talking about how um, LPS can be quite inflammatory. And then once you've got inflammation, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's, it's harder to react to, to than be proactive with, don't you think, Steph?
1: Well, I think that's a big topic because... Firstly, our understanding of the microbiome used to just be about like the actual bacteria, like mm. at least, okay, so these are quote-unquote good and these are bad. And that was fine with what we had at the time. But with something like hexa-LPS, that's a metabolite that's mm. produced by the microbes in that ecosystem. And only in recent years, like the last couple or three or four years, have we started testing for metabolites and understanding, okay, it's actually... More important, what the microbes in our ecosystem are doing are they anti inflammatory? Let's hope so, or are they pro inflammatory, like hexa LPS? And there's you know dietary things that we can talk about there as well. Mm. But yes, measuring that and understanding that because this the space, like the food, the gut health space is very good at blaming individual foods. Now, I'm not pro-gluten and pro-cow's dairy. I think I've made myself pretty clear over the years on that. (laughs) However, if you've got an inflammatory gut, you're going to react to everything. So just addressing the food Mm -hmm. is that classic missing the forest for the trees, Mm -hmm. where really you want to come back to understand the ecosystem, know what you're dealing with, create a plan that might be 6 or 12 months long for some people to reverse that dysbiosis, that imbalance, that permeability. And then as a general rule, you actually should be able to tolerate almost all foods. Mm. If you are also supporting your nervous system, again, if someone's bloated, it's very easy for them to blame food. And it's not wrong to identify what's bothering you. I think understanding your triggers is key. But if you are not in your parasympathetic, if you are in your fight, flight or freeze response you will be bloated. You'll feel like you're getting bloated to everything because, again, you haven't addressed the foundations. Yeah. So I do a lot of gut health testing, and sometimes there literally are not answers in there. Mm-hmm. There's not leaky gut. There's not dysbiosis. There's not even an imbalance of beneficial bacteria. It is the nervous system dysregulation, the HPA axis dysfunction that, again, we see everywhere because of that evolutionary mismatch and it's not sexy to be told to address that it's not like this detailed gut healing protocol that a lot of people <laughs> kind of want yeah but it can be that final realization where i'll never forget this mentoring student of me uh, of mine said to me oh i've just finally realized that it has to be stress i've done all the testing and everything's great mm-hmm. or even like you know more than great for someone who eats whole foods and has lived and breathed this for years that testing is still so powerful to realise, okay, well, all signs point to X, fix your nervous system, mm. which then looks at the gastric secretions that I've been mentioning about, which is is actually very basic and foundational but often neglected because we live in this magic pill, quick fix kind of sexy world of social media and, you know, access to information, of course.
0: Yeah, I find it so, like, it's so frustrating because I see all these other people, you know, talking about, you know, three foods that will heal your whatever it is or, you know, this one thing. And it's like, yeah, but in context, those individual foods are not going to make or break a person. You know, I I get, you know, I, I feel like it's very this is why I love podcasting because I love to really like flesh it out and talk about it. Like, yes, these Mm. three foods are all high in, let's say, you know, omega-3 fatty acids and you are trying to up in general, in general, your omega-3 fatty acids as an example. But you know, I feel like people are just so, but people love that, which is also the frustrating thing. Mm. That's what people want to see. It's like hard to sell, you know, Hey, the basics are important. Let's reduce our our stress. Let's just focus on eating a, a, a diverse range of of real food. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, cause I, I, yeah, I feel like a broken record a lot of the time, but I feel like testing is really helpful. Do you, um, what, what's your sort of go-to test and do you test for leaky gut at all? Or can you usually mm. tell with signs and symptoms?
1: Uh, yes. And it depends. So firstly, um, there's lots of different tests and obviously depends on what we're trying to do. If we think about testing for leaky gut, um, That's actually not where I usually start Mm. because if you test the whole ecosystem, you can usually find the driver. So that's the root cause approach. That's kind of my brain is like obsessed with root cause, right? So the technology, as I said, has evolved. We're not culturing in Petri dishes and doing like old school, um, you know, uh, yeah, culturing methods. We're now doing what is called metagenomic sequencing so it's literally looking at the dna of the entire ecosystem so all the microbes that live in the gut and it's so powerful because it's only a very small sample. Mm. Um, it's not like sending off a, a big piece of stool. It's like a swab per se, which is more user-friendly and like consumer-driven, which I think mm. is really important from an ac- accessibility
0: point of view. Are you using Microba? Microba, yeah. yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, ha- I use the practitioner version via Metabiome. But, yeah, yeah. the technology is with Microba in Australia. Right. Um, and it's superior to, to all, no matter what anyone says to you. It's just obviously um, evolving quite quickly and lots of practices is- practitioners um, are still using, say, a GI map, which I think is helpful in some ways, but certainly doesn't give you those metabolites. Mm. Um, And there is one marker in there, which is human DNA, and that looks for the human DNA in the ecosystem, which shouldn't be there because we're picking up, uh, you know, bacteria, archaea, fungi, DNA. So if there's human DNA in there, it's this big light on the dashboard. There's a lot of inflammation in there take action it doesn't confirm or deny a leaky gut but usually if someone has high inflammation that's obviously where we start our protocol mm. um, and then you can go on to suggest urine testing for leaky gut and that's my preference it's a six-hour urine test that looks at um, the sugars so the lactulose and mannitol recovery in the urine after drinking the solution and the malabsorption that can, that can occur if there is a permeability issue so They're separate tests. So it kind of depends on the client and the budget and the circumstances. Mm. I don't like to over-test. I think especially with the metabiome, you pretty much have, if there's an imbalance there, you've got your answers and then you've got at least a six-month plan of action to to rebalance the ecosystem.
0: Do you like to use um, like zonulin blood testing at all? It's
1: actually not the most accurate. Which is really interesting because there's lots of practitioners that love the GI map. That's mm. the complete microbiome mm. mapping by NutriPath or yep. RN Labs or whoever it is. Um, we call it the GI map. Yep. A lot of practitioners love that because it's got those functional markers in the in the top, which I do love in terms of understanding um, the function of the gut and certainly inflammation and their relationship to the immune system. But... Ozonulin is not the most accurate reflection, so I don't actually use a GR map for that reason. Yeah, I like those functional markers, so I kind—I personally would like to see that plus a microba as my perfect stool test or mm. microbiome test. It doesn't actually exist at the moment. Some practitioners want to order both, but that's like $800. Expensive. It makes me feel uncomfortable, so I tend to not operate that way. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I think the, the leaky gut test is I can look it up, but it's, 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 not, the, it's not as expensive as, say, a microbe, which is 349, mm. or a GI map, which is similar, like 360. So, you know, again, it's really individual, um, but I just think we need to be mindful of how we interpret Zonulin. Yeah, it was, it was the go-to for some time, but the research is is yeah questioning that for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's mm. that's interesting because that's also what I've been starting to hear as well. Because I used to use Onulin as well when I did one-on-one. So, um, mm. but yeah, it was it's always interesting to see like how it's changed now and what everybody else is mm. using. Um, what would yeah. be some of the signs or symptoms that people would be able to identify that they may have some intestinal permeability slash leaky gut? Mm. Just for everyone. That's an interchangeable term, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, what isn't connected to the gut, right? If we go back so to true. that famous saying that, yeah, all disease starts in the gut. Obviously, if you're having gut-related symptoms, if it's bloating, if it's indigestion, if it's changes in bowel motions, if it's increased reactivity to foods, et cetera, mm. that's very clear. That's like, okay, well, there's something going on with my gut, whether it is the ecosystem or the structural stuff yeah. that we're talking about but the other thing to think about is yeah like the the ref, the gut can reflect in other areas like everyone has their achilles heel right if you mm-hmm. have a skin weakness then you can be having eczema or dermatitis or hives like <laughs> yeah yeah right it's like me so, at the moment yeah i and, and very common um So, yeah, skin is one. There's also that common, you know, that we know the gut and the brain are connected by the vagus nerve, that super information highway where the communication is forwards and backwards all day long. And then those inflammatory um, metabolites can actually cross the blood-brain barrier. So then we can have brain fog or we can have neurological conditions, right, depending on the severity. And it's a spectrum. Mm. Everyone's really individual. but inflammation like poor exercise recovery constant injuries like god it's so broad but i think it's important especially if you've done the basics if you've been around the real food movement you've done your blood tests you've ruled out nutrient deficiencies if you're still quite symptomatic usually testing your gut is where you've got to go and Mm -hmm. that's where you can start to unpack all right what's left in my food journey yeah there's also SIBO, though, so let me know if you want to cover that because that's obviously a bit of a blind spot yeah. with the microbiome uh, and the leaky gut testing. Yes. It's obviously not looking at another area of, um, yes. of microbiome health. Yeah, we mm. can
0: absolutely do that. i was just going to share one story because uh, at the mm. time when I know that I had um, leaky gut was just after I had my daughter. So this was about maybe almost five years ago. And I mm. will never forget having a conversation with – two of Gus's friends who came over and I'm halfway through a conversation and then I literally just went, what was I saying? Mm. I, I could not for the life of me remember. And of course I was sleep deprived and all those things, yeah. but I know it was more than that. And, um, and, you know, I, I had, I had a plethora of other symptoms, but I, I know for me in like over my lifespan that, you know, when I do suffer with leaky gut, because I can, or on the side of, you know, quite stressed and really go, 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 I have to be very conscious to sort of slow myself down, that that for me is a real symptom. So, you know, even at the moment with the mould that's going on in Sydney and, like, it seems to be, like, everywhere... Everywhere we go, there's you know houses are mouldy and things are mouldy, so mm. it's really it's really tricky. Even this podcasting studio at the moment is having difficulties. I literally have a filter right next to me that I hope no one Good. can do. At <laughs> I was like, I'm yeah, here and like I've got my filter.
1: I know. Well, you, you you know, like you were saying offline, off air, mm. like at least you've got that knowledge. Like you can't literally yeah. just. Lock down the walls yet, but you put the dehumidifier in
0: or the filter in to navigate the circumstances. Well. Absolutely, like yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta do your best. Okay, so let's mm. dive into um, to mm. SIBO, SIBO, yeah, how I, I, potato, potato, potato. potato. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't even remember how I say it now because now I'm just throwing myself. But let's go into yeah. SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to raise it because if we're talking about those two tests, if we're talking about a classic stool test for the microbiome and or human DNA, and then a urine test for intestinal permeability, let's say they come back as actually literally fine. So not fine. Like your doctor tells you you're fine, but fine when someone (laughs) with a functional lens has analyzed your reports and you still have symptoms. What you do not know yet is if you have an imbalance upstream so in your small intestine which is higher up the gastrointestinal tract underneath the sort of sternum area stomach etc so you know one of the, some of the skin stuff i see a lot of like the chronic skin issues certainly hives people that have been battling their their symptoms that it's appear to be quite mysterious with all other testing the blind spot is SIBO because it's tested via a breath test Mm. especially with microbar or the metagenomic sequencing because it's a swab it's the very lower colon so right Mm. at the bottom of the gastrointestinal tract in no way is it looking at the bacteria in the small intestine so Sometimes we do need to accept that we haven't got the information from those first one or two tests that SIBO is sort of where we're going to be investigating. Um, and when you look at someone's history as a practitioner, when you do a really thorough case history, mm-hmm. you can usually unpack when and the root cause because the underlying mechanism to SIBO is a structural or is structural damage to the migrating motor complex, the MMC, that cleansing type or cleansing-like wave that we think is hunger when we hear a rumble, that's actually the MMC that's moving the food and the waste out the other end. Um, And if someone's had food poisoning, trauma to the abdominal area, like an appendix removed, a cesarean section, a car accident, Mm. if they've had, yeah, other surgery like endo through the belly button, sorry, endo removal, like um, laparoscope through the belly button. There's other, you know, just looking at that history and then asking your client to finish the sentence, I've never been the same since, Mm. you can usually see, Ding, ding, ding. That was where things started to unravel and pointing you towards the right test, so that breath testing placebo.
0: So, so you said uh, some like physical trauma. Mm. So physical trauma to the MMC. Any other um, like you know enzymatic influence, biochemical influence? That's not 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 so um, like physical because like surgery makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, this the, the significant stress. Like you know how someone yeah. like they just. It, you know you think about like an autoimmune condition not SIBO but this is another example like how do you wake up with like alopecia or how do you mm. wake up with like Crohn's disease like there is always something hmm. and so like a huge stressful event can be the onset of SIBO the food poisoning um yeah like the parasites or what have you um they're the only ones that come to mind now I'm just thinking about yeah like gosh if there was that leaky gut and then we're looking at you know the lack of acid and the digestive those gastric secretions that's of course going to influence
0: things because that's where digestion like you know after the mouth that's mm. where digestion goes next that's right and are the signs and symptoms because i know it's it's hard to tease mm. the gut apart in any way like we're we, you know it's it's hard we were initially going to talk about leaky gut we're already here at, at SIBO. you know oh, we've know. All, already it's mentioned all like yeah we've yeah. already mentioned like the microbiome the actual bacteria itself it's very hard to sort of tease out and separate so um are the signs and symptoms are there are there hallmark signs and symptoms for SIBO that wouldn't where you'd be like, that is definitely cyber. And, and well, mm. not definitely, but you're like, that is 99% cyber.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can get pretty close, again, with thorough, um, like a thorough case history as a practitioner. And from a gut perspective, they are often upper symptoms, right, mm. because of the, the location issues. So it's often rather than, say, bloating lower down, it's bloating higher up or yep. reflux or indigestion or heartburn. So they're more obvious. Um, And then when you're looking at like a quote-unquote IBS, so I I hate the diagnosis (laughs) of irritable bowel syndrome. It's lazy. It's just, okay, you've excluded some things, but you've literally not given this person any answers. And you certainly shouldn't be prescribed low FODMAP beyond an intervention of, you know, eight weeks or what have you. And things are changing slowly in that space. But Mm. So many people think they've got IBS when they've actually got SIBO and then you can unpack, all right, do you have IBSD, which is diarrhea, then you likely have a hydrogen overgrowth, a part of me a hydrogen dominant SIBO, mm-hmm. or if you're more constipation, so IBSC, then you more likely have a, a methane overgrowth, so too many methanogens, mm-hmm. so methane releasing species in the gut. And then somebody will have both. They have the swings and roundabouts of that IBSC, IBSD, which is obviously not uncommon because it's got to come out eventually.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> that's a combined gases positive result on a SIBO breath test. So, yeah, like in terms of testing, like to summarize, there's obviously three different tests that you could do, but I'm not saying go and do them all. That's why when you work with someone one on one, they can really help you prioritize mm. testing budget starting with the case history and then I love answering that sentence for everyone tuning in. I've never been the same since. Mm. Fill in the blanks and that tells you so much.
0: That's so true because I always used to sit with clients and say what was one You know what what happened at the same time you know you said you know Mm. at 11 years old that's when i started noticing whatever it was and then i said what happened at the same time and i usually can can link it to a a stressful event like oh my parents Mm. divorced Mm -hmm. or we moved house or a friend passed away and Mm -hmm. um yeah i've just personally found a lot of yeah just stress to be such but then again it's probably because i you know i worked with very stressed people in general And, you know, anyone who I attracted who was similar to me were kind of like, you know, entrepreneurial, wants to do everything, type A personality, or it was like CEOs and like, you know, executives. So, you know, I feel like stress probably, you know, makes sense for me. But I even think, Mm. look, I even think just the average person is stressed, right? They just are. Mm. Um, Okay, super interesting. And would you say... There might, I, I don't know if there's any direct links to, you know, SIBO and um, reproductive health slash hormonal mm. balance. But personally, have you recognized uh, a correlation between the two?
1: So I think it's a really interesting question. Like you were saying at the start, it's not going to be as simple as just saying you have SIBO, that's why you're having mm. fertility issues. So I want to be really clear to say that. Yep. But, but equally, the gut is obviously how we absorb our raw materials from our food and those raw materials go on to make our hormones so it doesn't not make sense that if we're not digesting and absorbing our food we are missing the raw materials for our reproductive hormones so how will you know we need that beautiful orchestra to conceive that we need we need that those four cycles that peak event of ovulation like to me, that's really clear, but we, we haven't looked at – I don't think we look at fertility like that because no. unfortunately – and I know IVF is amazing and isn't it incredible that our generation have access to that, but it has become like a bit of a machine and yeah. like I work with a lot of clients that are in that system to help them – sort of unpack what they need to do rather than just being given a list of every single vitamin that might ever have been shown to produce <laughs> yeah. increased fertility. And they're like, what the hell, you know, like, so, yeah. um, not to sound critical, but it's really about understanding the individual. Yeah. And I think going back to some of those foundations, like pe- women do not even know that their hormones are built on proteins and fats. So it can honestly be, going back to foundations, all right, where are you missing these building blocks? What nutrient deficiencies do you have? What's your thyroid doing? What's your microbiome doing? Is there a permeability issue? Is there inflammation? Is there hexa LPS? Or is it um, one of the other metabolites like TMAO, trimethylamine? You know, like there's so many things that could be influencing fertility. And then the other thing that I find is that, women are now really understanding that they are going to actually pass their ecosystem on mm. to their child. Like, holy moly, isn't that incredible? Why are we being told just to take folate or elephant and to not eat organ meats, which is like the most outdated information I have <laughs> ever heard? Why aren't we being told that we need to not have nutrient deficiencies so that we've got the raw material? And what about we look at our ecosystem or our internal environment in the preconception, Mm. rather than having to reverse engineer things when we haven't fallen pregnant for a year or more.
0: It's reactive. It's back to front. I agree wholeheartedly on that. And as much as people might think, oh, but that's so simple, like a nutrient deficiency. That's so simple. Or, you know, this digestive juice, you know, making sure that you have, you know, uh, the right amount of stomach acid, the right amount of enzymes. People think that that is so simple and so basic because it's got to be this, like it's got to be this medical drug or this intervention, but it's just not. And another thing, you know, that you mentioned, which I think was such a great thing to mention was nothing happens in your body in isolation. So just Mm -hmm. because you've picked up that you've got cybo, for example, doesn't mean that that's the only thing that's going on because like we're saying, we're even struggling to tease it out ourselves, you know, like talking amongst practitioners. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, it's so great that we have specialists who specialize in one system of the body who specialize in one syndrome, one condition, one disease, but it's also really tricky because sometimes you get tunnel vision and when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so, you know, you get this one diagnosis and you're like, well, that's my thing. I have SIBO and you know, that, that, you know, for the rest of my life, I just have to eat, like you said, eat a low FODMAP diet, which is what so many people do. And they just live this life of restriction which is so unnecessary. And then in my opinion, restrictive food diets definitely like lead and, and um, increase the risk of things like eating disorders because people get fearful mm. of certain foods because of how they've, it's made them feel in the past. Absolutely, Yeah, it's really, um, isn't it? It's, it's kind of sad like watching it from a practitioner point of view you, you, when you see people's journey or even when they come to you and you just think, oh, I could have saved you from all these years of suffering had you, had you only known or seen this other perspective
1: yeah I think it's a cultural thing I think you're right we've overcomplicated, and you mentioned earlier about those like three foods that will heal your gut or whatever like that's the world we live in with social media being 15 second snippets and so we have to acknowledge that's what social media is if we're getting a lot of our information there that's why we listen to a podcast where it's an hour or more where you can really understand like the nuances Mm. and the foundations and this is what I spend my time on like I'm in clinic two full days a week and mentoring students and always we're like getting out here thinking about you know something some supplement or something like do I need to take progesterone or whatever it might be let's come back to those basics like you were talking about sort of your personality and the clients that you attract you would know about the pregnant alone steal like i'm yeah. obsessed about this concept yeah. like yeah. if 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 you are stressed is your body in the right state to conceive? No, your body is literally taking nutrients, taking raw materials that would otherwise be used to make reproductive hormones to make cortisol so you can run away from the threat. And it's not the saber tooth tiger, but it's the email notifications, the DMs, the children, the house mortgage, whatever it is mm. on top of everything else then you're not then you're not making enough progesterone for implantation that's right that's right again it's not going to be just that simple but it is this beautiful orchestra mm. that needs those raw materials yep. that needs to factor in like looking after to the nervous system so that's that back to where we started not being in that sympathetic overdrive yeah which is the driver for the leaky gut which is the driver for them not absorbing the raw materials that are on your plate.
0: And I love that the parasympathetic nervous system is referred to as rest and digest. And I always say to people, you have to rest first. So take your three mm. deep belly breaths before you try and put food in your mouth. Cause you're not going to digest it. If you're stuck in a fight or flight response, if you're stressed out, your body's not going, Oh, perfect time to spend all my energy Mm. metabolizing and digesting this food no your body's gonna go where's that tiger or the proverbial tiger you know um and 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 go okay run away um protect yourself so you know i think it's uh i think we yeah we miss these they're just so basic Mm. right that we miss these basic things now for somebody who is experiencing either leaky gut or SIBO Um, or they just definitely know that they've got some gut issues, some gut symptoms, then can we get a little checklist? And it can be, you know, a variety of different, you know, things, whether it's supplements or foods or lifestyle interventions, just like maybe, you know, three to five things that people can really focus on that are specifically targeted for sort of leaky gut cyber as, as like a little bit of a treatment plan, like a little snippet from Steph.
1: Yeah, like the, I would treat them quite differently, yeah. actually. Okay, so if Great we just to know. start with, yeah, if we just start with leaky gut, um, yeah, like I agree with you. Like having a little list of like food behaviors, which it does involve the breath. To me, is key. Like I cannot tell you how many people that have come back to me after a decade of gut issues, and they're they're all gone. They don't even need to do testing. Like it's it's not crazy, but it's like so powerful to see yeah. in clinic time and time again. So yes, but like that's boring. So I'll I'll make sure things are a little bit more sexy for you as well, Dee. Um,
0: no, we like basics. Got to, we
1: like yeah, basics, of course, of course. I know, I know. But 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 like with the permeability issue, like we do have to talk about gluten, of course, when we look at Alessio Fasano's work mm. on zonulin. So yep. that's where obviously that test came from yep. that we were talking about earlier, but. The protein in gluten, gliadin, has been shown to interfere with the intestinal wall and cause the fly screens to have those tennis ball size tears in them to a degree. And so we have to acknowledge that for a period of time, um, gluten is not going to be serving us. Mm -hmm. If we take a real food approach, though, and we look at whole foods and food, how they come out of the ground off a tree or from an animal, which is a personal preference, of course, then we actually are almost gluten-free anyway mm. so I like to look at it through the lens of whole food that low degree of human interference that high degree of nutrient density and then some people need to get a little bit more particular around okay let me take out the extras the soya sauce or the veggie marsh or the beer or whatever it is for <laughs> um, a period of time while we're healing the gut and we also need to look at A1 casing which is cow's dairy yeah. now I don't love cow's dairy for lots of reasons like a lot of the work that I do these days is actually in heavy menstrual bleeding so hmb uh-huh. and there's common drivers to what we're talking about today because in some people a1 casein creates the pro- pro-inflammatory cytokine bcm7 and it's this bomb that goes off so it can cause mast cell activation and mm-hmm. increase histamine yep. which is a driver for a lot of hormonal issues and symptoms that i don't think a lot of people are aware of and then equally when the um, immune system is overactivated, is obviously a big part of that leaky gut. Mm. The body is kind of at war with itself, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so cow's dairy is another one that is really important to consider. Now, the similarities to those two back to SIBO is that I use um, what is Neurala Nir- Jacoby's protocol. So she's like the SIBO expert in Oz and the protocol is – for a period of time where you are doing lower FODMAP and specific carbohydrate diet. So it's a yep. bit of a combo of taking out those foods that otherwise feed the overgrowth in the small intestine. Yep. And so wheat and dairy are out anyway, right? Yep. So that's the common denominator. But SIBO, you do need to get more detail because those FODMAPs and then some of those specific carbohydrates, um, unfortunately, can, perpetuate the symptoms whilst you're going in there and rebalancing that ecosystem with your herbs and Mm. biofilm releases and probiotics and things like that Mm. so there's certainly common denominators uh and then everyone's heard about you know bone broth or glutamine i think that's a really beautiful sort of nutrient or nutraceutical but bone broth is obviously glutamine gelatin collagen so that's going to seal the gut mm. repair those holes in the fly screen and there are vegan vergi- versions which are not going to be as comprehensive yep. that's sort of accepted but you can do like you know certain powders like a glutagenics or a glutamine based product aloe vera to soothe the inflammation inflammation zinc for. The- healing digestive integrity so you're probably working with a practitioner by this point in time so you'll get the right thing prescribed to you
0: can i pause you there and ask mm. sorry about bone broth what if you're having trouble with high histamines
1: yeah so it's definitely a tight rope and that's where you've got to consider that anything that's long cooked Mm. is going to be high in histamine Mm. that's why some people have problems with leftovers that have been in the fridge for a couple of days so that's on our radar as well um Good news is if you're cutting out gluten or wheat and dairy, you've dropped your histamine like significantly. And then if you're taking out alcohol as well, which you should be if you're doing a gut healing protocol, I hope that goes without saying, your (laughs) histamines are down again. So you don't need to cut out all histamine. You definitely need to acknowledge what you're having every day in high loads that drain the bucket when you drop the histamine out. But if someone's like pretty sort of unwell, then yeah, broth isn't going to be the best option. We have to do short cooks like a GAPS protocol or a mm. gut and psychology syndrome protocol where it's stock
0: mm. and
1: not broth, and mm. that's where supplements, where we're not obviously adding the histamine, like a glutamine sup, can be really helpful. So it's a great point.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for clearing that up. And sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. <laughs> oh, just the, the yeah, we were talking about the sups. So
1: where we got to with some of those tips, but. Yes, yeah, SIBO is a lot more intricate. Like if you if you start to unpack this space, you'll you'll see there's a strong medical um, influence to using certain antibiotics like rifaximin, mm. which I'm actually not against. Bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just talk about this? Let me explain myself. But sure. Firstly, I'm not in, I'm not into antibiotics. Like that's clear. Yeah. But. If we look at – if we start from what is the disappearing microbiota hypothesis, the reason why we have gut issues today starts in utero when our mom is exposed to antibiotics, if we're cesarean-born without vaginal seeding, if we're not breastfed, if we're taking too many antibiotics in infancy and childhood. Then we take antibiotics and we're literally ruined. Mm. So that's a huge problem. Mm. However, if you have a great ecosystem – four to six weeks after taking a round of antibiotics, it's like it never happened. So it's good to know this because some people need to take them. Mm. And isn't it nice to know that you haven't ruined your gut and all your years of hard work? So I think that's really important knowledge. And then you mentioned eating disorders. Can you imagine what it would be like for someone, who has a history of eating disorder, to be given this huge list of HODMAPs, this huge list of SCD foods and portions and yeses and no's and green, Mm. red, light, like, no, that is not healthy. So for some people, it's really powerful for them to say, you know what, I'm going to do this course of rifaximin, look at my herbs and my biofilms and my probiotics and an anti-relapse strategy, which is one of the big criticisms and say antibiotics alone, because Sibo relapses. Maybe this is best for me. And I actually wholeheartedly support that, especially yep. because these antibiotics are actually absorbed higher up in the gut. That's why they treat SIBO. Yep. They're absorbed in the small intestine. They don't go on to disrupt the microbiome in the lower colon. So oh, amazing nuance, nuance nuance, and actual clarity around information is really important.
0: I, I really love that. And I think it goes back to, as nutritionists, we're, we're very much drilled into that you have to treat the whole person. You know, you can't just grab this little condition or this little one symptom and then just, you know, forget about the rest of the person. Because if, you, if you're if you not aware and conscious of the fact that, say, for example, somebody's had a challenging relationship with food their whole life, then yes, that might be, you know, it might be very helpful on a very physical level if they had, mm. you know, if you were to disregard entirely, you know, their mental health and their relationship to food, then mm. sure, those lists would be helpful. But- But that's not realistic for some people. And it's not to say that someone's going to get better or worse results. Like it's just the way that that is for that person. And to have, you know, a practitioner like yourself, Steph, I think, you know, it's really so fantastic to hear that there are practitioners that are just so well educated like yourself that really, you know, you're really looking at that person on a whole level and making sure that with all of the knowledge and all of the tools that you have available to you, that you're really handpicking and tailoring a, a, a whole treatment plan in like a whole lifestyle kind of way for that person, mm. so that's really, really awesome. I think it comes with time. Like, I used to try. I used to
1: have very different approaches to lots of things, and I think it comes. Like, you'll agree with this with like your journey and what you're doing now. Like, I can hand on heart say that if tomorrow I got a SIBO diagnosis, that I would take Rifaximin because I've, I'm so stretched at the moment. I've got two young kids. Mm. I'm breastfeeding. I'm up quite a lot during the night still. There's no way I'd be following like portions of different cups of vegetables and how many I can add per meal and eight weeks of herbs. Like I would not do it. It would would actually probably tip me over the edge truthfully. yeah. So having that firsthand experience is so powerful, especially as mothers who carry that extra load of motherhood, even though I have an amazing husband and, you know, lovely family support, it's just layers to life and understanding that in your client. And I do think firsthand experience with your own sort of health um challenges is powerful because you're not trying to give a client something that looks like a perfect protocol that can't be applied in their world totally totally
0: yeah and that's why it's so you know i find it so difficult people inbox me all the time they dm me all the time they 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 you know give me their whole life story which to be honest i love i love knowing people's life story but then they're like you know okay, but what do I do? And they, they, they miss, like, there are so many, there are still so many questions that I would need to, yes. to know to be able to help yes. someone, um, you know, and that's, you know, I think people used to get frustrated, like, you know, just give me some quick advice. It's like, but yes. that could be totally wrong based off what I you've told I feel this me. in my soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yeah. On at
1: the moment, we're talking about um, iron in pregnancy and in iron infusions and just as a side note, I'm talking about, like, vitamin A, like preformed vitamin A as retinol, and it's leading to this pate conversation. And people yeah. are like, Can I eat pate on toast every day? Can I take this many liver capsules? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know your history. Like I wish I could answer it, but I would be doing you and myself disservice.
0: Okay. Like, how do I answer that question? It it depends. The answer is it depends. Oh my gosh. I always say And I swear people get so frustrated with this, but I always say, it depends. And that's my answer to like almost every question. Of course it does. Yeah. Because we're all so unique. It depends. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Steph, let's switch gears quickly because I have this common question that I like to ask all of my guests and I'm very intrigued. I want you to take, you know, take your time in answering this. What is a health hack that has been a game changer for you?
1: Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look, my personal experience is is quite different when it came to like what led me to say real food and actually eliminating gluten, which is where it started. But I do think we could acknowledge that um, most health conditions have a driver in, say, inflammation Mm
0: -hmm. and Mm -hmm.
1: starting with something like real food is actually very simple and covers a lot of bases. So that, for me, it was cutting out actual gluten because of how it was impacting my mood and that conversation we had before around the blood-brain barrier was certainly a big part of it for me. Mm -hmm. But for other people it might be it resolves their skin or it fixes their brain fog or it helps them sleep at night. And so, again, like we're back at the basics, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it because the return on investment is huge.
0: And I think for people who feel overwhelmed with the amount of information out there, mm. honestly, it's like, you know, as a practitioner, you could talk about getting in your micronutrients, making sure you've um, upregulated your digestive enzymes, a- avoiding high foods and this and lo- like low in that. You could just squash all of that and you could kill mm. 20 birds with one stone if you just Mm. ate real food. That's all we're Mm. saying. We're saying it's really interesting to zoom in and go, yep, well, this could help with that and this is high in that and that's great and Mm. we should eat more of those. But at the same time, zoom out all you have to do. Mm. just eat whole real food and you're just you're dealing with most of that to start Mm. of course of course to start that healing journey and to maintain health so if you're a fairly healthy person anyway and you've just got a few like niggly things sometimes it might just be hey I've just got to be mindful that I've been having you know more takeout than I normally do or I'm extra stressed more so more so than I normally am to just get it back into balance you know but again if people are are quite sick and they feel like you know no one's got answers for them and you know they're still searching for the right practitioner at the very least i think if you just move to just eat whole world foods consistently and over time things will just start to regulate on their own and a diverse range of of healthy you know you know real foods you know diverse fruits pick different fruits pick different veggies you know and all that sort of thing to um as just as a blanket place to start would you agree
1: uh wholeheartedly like the number of people that come to me that are taking like a bag full of supplements and literally no one's ever taught them their macros like how to make sure they're having enough protein and healthy fats and carbs and we do that and it's revolutionary like that's what why like that's why i love what i do it i love what i do because i do see more complicated cases but i always start with those basics mm. and to me, that's a function of yeah, the cultural stuff, and certainly that people are a little bit too supplement heavy. It's kind of become that ill that pill for an ill, but, but in using the naturopathic supplement. world, yes, yeah, I agree. It's a trap, and it bothers me because the client doesn't even know what they're taking, when, how, for how long. It's all just an absolute palaver, and we can strip it back to like three or four things based on some some detailed path, like some bloods, and it's like, oh. The breath of fresh air when the client's not like rattling this bag like when I used to have an actual (laughs) clinic before I went virtual it was like what is this like what are they taking hundreds of thousands of dollars like nuts bananas
0: Mm, yeah yeah it's funny because you just said nuts bananas it's like just start with nuts and bananas and you you can just avoid all of the same I was like (laughs) what about a food pun there you should start saying that more
1: it's avocado (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) so we also have a uh you know with every episode i always ask my guest um a question from the community and we've already touched on it so if you have anything mm-hmm. else major to add i'd love to you to share um zoe from melbourne in australia asked how can we uh better oh sorry how can better gut health decrease bloating and you already uh, mentioned mm. a nervous system relationship there with the bidirectional relationship between the gut and the brain too so mm. yeah
1: mm. yes Yes. So I do think the key is acknowledging those gastric secretions, right? Mm. So it's actually not – it's up much higher, as I said. Like so we start with – we actually start before the mouth. We start with our eyesight, with the onset of producing gastric secretions, which is actually why mindful eating is rightly so vogue. Um, (laughs) The the chewing – the chewing like the number of people who breathe in their food like my husband included lucky he doesn't get bloated but um chew your food like 20 times per mouthful watch your bloating disappear but then obviously the ecosystem this question is talking more about like gut health so Mm. if if we use that term and people are generally talking about the ecosystem um i think that comes back to fiber so like what i do in the microbiome testing or the microbiome that uh, microba that you mentioned earlier is for a lot of people what we notice is their diet is not diverse enough so they're tending to eat like the same food like who's guilty of that you buy the same three yep. veg or what have you and then you, you know you might have been told not to have lentils and legumes and you might not be having grains because someone's told you they'd cause leaky gut and then we don't have Fructo oligosaccharides, galacto oligosaccharides, inulin, resistant starch. Like, we just don't have enough different fibers. So, then our ecosystem is not very diverse. Mm. So, it is as simple as diversifying the diet in the different types of fibers, mm. diversifying the ecosystem, like one creates the other. And then something like bloating can resolve because you've got that beautiful balance in the ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. So, it's just more so about fibers. the balance. Yeah, the balance. Well, the I think it's like.
1: I think it's like, well, do you really need to avoid legumes? Can you tolerate resistant starch? If your ecosystem is being nourished, then as a general rule, you can like Mm. onion and garlic people have taken out for 10 years because of that FODMAP combo, but they can tolerate it when their ecosystem is fine. So then we're getting more inulin without even adding a supplement. We're getting diversity in our fibers, which is that diverse microbiome, which everyone can can agree on is key yep. to optimal health and longevity
0: yeah definitely that's there's definitely a consensus in that in the different ways that everyone goes about it there's definitely that consensus mm. that like your gut is a seed of your health and it's the second mm. brain and uh, it's also a, a situation of like uh no news is good news in that if you don't have gut symptoms that are making you consciously aware that you've got gut symptoms then you've probably got a, a decent ecosystem because i was trying to think how how are people going to know that they've got a good you know Good or decent gut health, or good gut health. It's like mm. if you don't have symptoms, you're likely well balanced.
1: Yes, acknowledging that for some people they may not have gut issues, but they've got like chronic hives or something. Yes, and that is where we still need to look into the gut.
0: Yeah, agreed, absolutely. Well, Steph, I've absolutely loved having you on, and listeners, if you've absolutely loved having Steph on, let me know in the Water Mouthful Facebook group. Let me know if you want me to get her back on because Steph, I would love to have you back on. I feel like we could just talk for like years. Um, we're, we're close I to know. an hour. <laughs> Uh, I would love to come back. We've got so many topics we could unpack together. I love it. And if people would love to work with you, where can they find you? Yeah, my
1: online home is thenaturalnutritionist.com.au. So you can find everything about me and my virtual clinic and bookings via my website and links to social media and my podcast, Health, Happiness and Humankind.
0: Amazing. Thanks so much, Steph. And I'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Thanks, Dee. Bye. If anything in this episode sparked a question for you, please reach out to me on Instagram at DZabara. You're a legend and legends leave five-star reviews. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on What A Mouthful.